0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that follows the money behind our beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and with me, as ever, and the reason we're here, football finance expert at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. Hello. Hi, Kevin. Uh, did you enjoy your international break? Oh, yes. Yeah, I saw the world. <laughs> Although we've firmly ascertained that if you were just listening to the podcast last week that we are now ten minutes later, but it's messing with my head in a kind of Doctor Who style fashion, to be perfectly honest. Um... In this episode, duh, 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 finally, financial doping, which we mentioned way back in episode three, I think, and then I got sidetracked by a bright, shiny object outside and we didn't finish the conversation. It's how clubs inflate their income and push down their costs. Uh, and I'm, I'm promising you now, listeners, this bit contains my favourite Kieran story yet. And we've had some top Kieran stories, and we uh, two of which, unfortunately... We were in the pub afterwards and we decided legally there was no way we could have them in but seven have been brilliant that we've actually brought up, this is easily the best of it so we'll be asking why clubs do this financial doping and what are the consequences uh, plus uh, why the Welsh Premier League champions are from England uh, and why Kieran cares so much to be perfectly honest and also if that wasn't enough, Kieran gets I'm going to say slightly aroused by the financial figures from Norwich and Bristol City, the the email chain we've had, it's, I've never seen a man so excited in an email. I like, you If you thought he was excited about Juventus' accounts, my God. Anyway, and of course your questions. And once again, I do apologise in advance if we don't get to your question. It is because we have a lot of people listening to us, uh, lovely people listening to us, and a lot of you have got questions. So we will try and get to them. If we don't, I do apologise, and hopefully we'll call, sort of answer it within the course of other things anyway. Uh, and join us again by popular demand, um, the star, forward slash victim of last week's uh, show, football agent Jonathan Booker. Jonathan, thank you for, for joining us. Nice to be here. Um, we've got fewer questions directly to you in this pod because you answered a lot of, uh, very openly and honestly, uh, you answered a lot of questions about an agent's role last week and they, uh, thank you for it. Um, if it wasn't for the fact it was 10 minutes ago, I would tell you that we had a lot of response but in in a week's time when it comes out and you won't be here i'll email you to tell you we've had a lot of response okay but you gave us a great deal of insight into the world of a, a football agent and not all of it was what we wanted to hear obviously but and, and we talked about various ways of being an agent and you're obviously at the top end of being an agent caring kind uh we've told you they're not getting paid for this haven't we um, this is, the compliments is, but this is the producer unsure. the producer told me to just be really nice to you at the top of the second one, essentially. And you're buying the beers. Did we know yet? You're, you're well I'm agent.
1: definitely looking for the taxi now. Yeah, so. yeah,
0: well you're a football agent, so obviously you've got way more money than the rest of us put together. Yeah, of apart course from, everybody will tell apart you. Apart from that. Kieran as the accountant. Um so financial doping, this is something that you've you've talked about, uh, Kieran, and it's something you'll be aware of, Jonathan. This is this is ways that club use use to inflate their income, like stadium sales to the owners of the club. Now, I, I'm intrigued as to to how they do it, but more importantly to why they do it, because as somebody who's freelance, your instinct is to try and keep your your actual income down as much as possible with the aid of an accountant so you don't pay as much tax. So it it seems counterintuitive to, to, try to want to boost how much you're actually earning. Do you, do you understand what I mean by that? I absolutely, but... Given
2: that uh, this is all linked to financial fair play, right. and given that most clubs who are in a sticky wicket in terms of financial pay are losing money, if you're losing money, you're not paying any tax. So, therefore, the, the tax issue doesn't become a problem. Right, OK. So, th- there's... Is there a two- way of applying that to me? I'll speak to you afterwards. Thank you. <laughs> um Mates Rates. So, so what? What is what is profit? Because the way that financial fair play works is there's two types of financial fair play. The first of which is you've got a limit on the amount of losses that you make, and the second type is a wage cap. So, so we take a look at those in in turn. So, the first one is you're allowed to lose um, in the championship. The championship is it, it's it's the it's the car crash. It's the Keystone Cops the, the of, of football. The worst case you always said, yeah. Um, and, you yeah, know, we we'd, we'd think we'd said in one of the first episodes that between them, that the uh, the championship clubs had lost five hundred and seventy million pounds in a year. Um, they have got to restrict those losses. So so what what's a profit or what's a loss? It's, it's your money coming in, less your money going out. You know, it's, that's relatively simple. If you are losing more than you're allowed thirty nine million pounds or if you're close to that allowed thirty nine million pounds, you you've got a problem. So the way that the clubs are are dealing with that is is one of two ways. A, as you said at the start, they're going to inflate their income. So, so where, where do clubs get money from? Effectively, there's, there's four sources. They sell tickets, they get money from the telly, they have commercial deals, and they sell players. And that's sort of the standard approach. So if, if we take a look at those in turn... Ticket sales—they're actually quite difficult to manipulate because everybody knows what the prices are. The FA know what to expect, so so you—it's—it's it's difficult to manipulate or or to be um, generous, shall we say, in terms of mm. your your money from that source. TV money—that's that's paid by the Premier League, director of the club, so you can't do anything with that. So we start. So so we move to commercial deals, and commercial deal is. Somebody wants to sponsor me. Somebody wants to advertise with me, um, and and that's all fine. But we then start to look at the numbers behind them, and I think one of the the first ones, which this this is where this this phrase financial doping came from, it was Arsene Wenger. He looked at uh, Manchester City when they first signed the the, the deal with the Etihad, uh, with Etihad Airways. £350 million pounds for naming rights and, and some shirt sponsorship as well. Mm. And at the time, it blew everything out of the water. You know, no, you know, why don't Manchester United have naming rights for Old Trafford? Because they think, actually, they can't get that much of a price for it. So they'd rather have the kudos of it. Hey, it's still known as Old Trafford. Um, so so people before had been saying, well, naming rights, it, it, it's spoken about
0: but it's not really really worth a lot. Can we do one of our customary diversions before I bring Jonathan in on this? Because the naming rights thing is interesting because it's noticeable that broadcasters now have started referring to the new Tottenham Stadium as White Hart Lane again because it is technically on White Hart Lane. So presumably they've got something in place, Tottenham, haven't they, for, for naming rights? Well, they they've they have
2: they've. A, discussions with it but actually I don't think anybody's actually ever come forward
0: with oh, okay. with, a, with a big price and would, they, they have, would that not have been part of the when they were building the stadium surely would, is that not something you factor in that we will get a percentage of this from because you know, it's it's in London it's gonna, they're going to get a lot of money from somebody aren't they for naming that stadium presumably well that's it you don't get a lot of money oh okay um,
2: I, I think it's a bit of a myth right that, because if, if you take a look at some of the, the stadia um, you know, uh, Scunthorpe of this season—they've named their stadium after a nightclub in Blackpool. <laughs> now, if I'm if I'm in yeah, you know, yeah, you know, Scunthorpe, I've been to Scunthorpe for, a, for a, 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 an FA Cup defeat many, many years ago. Yeah, Bobby's, Bobby Samora got sent off in the match. It wasn't Wasn't a good day out.
0: The only nightclub i would ever known him. Blackpool was a Pink Flamingo. They haven't named it the Pink Flamingo Stadium, have they? I don't think so. Okay. And, and I used to run a nightclub in oh my. in Blackpool as well. <laughs> what? Oh, it's all coming <laughs> I out. Every week, I'm learning something new about you. What a life you've lived. You um, See my voice. The eyebrows went up. The voice went up an octave. You used to run a nightclub in Blackpool. You did. I did. Yeah, yeah. What was it called? The Accountant's Rest.
2: It was called Frenchies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, was it? Oh, it sounds wonderful. Yeah, well, I used to. Oh, no, 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 the rest of the pod's over. If you've sent a question in this week, you've had it. There's Frenchies in Blackpool on the front, was it? It was fairly close to the front because um, I, I used to work for the administrators, and
2: because, because I don't drink alcohol, I used to get all of the pubs and clubs in the northwest because they send me out on a Friday and Saturday night to, to run them. So I've run places in Crewe and Liverpool and Blackpool wow, and you've... Wrexham, all 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 the you know high spots of. Uh, High spots uh, for I to the northwest. I,
0: I, I'm going to draw a veil over the night I spent in Wrexham after we won one 0 there in 198. Never mind the Frenchies. Does that's, that's, I, I can anyway? Yeah, I, I forget where we were naming. St- so yeah, how much did you get for naming French? <laughs> well, <laughs> probably not much more than they. Uh... Oh, so scum, oh, no, I, forgot, I was I was killing tyrians. Comfort pink flamingo. Yes, Comfort named their stadium. So and, and
2: you've got other stadiums, stadium which you know. Uh... Doncaster have just called there's something new. The trouble is, everybody forgets them, you know, unless unless it's when the stadium was built. So you, you you do have Arsenal with the Emirates, you know, they do because there wasn't an alternative name for it. Even if Spurs get a sponsor for the stadium, it's going to be called White Hart Lane by yeah. everybody.
0: Well, it comes back to, and we talked about it in the last pod uh, ten minutes ago or last week, the Wham Stadium at Accrington, which I. Would would love to think was named after the band, but it's named after, I think a local cardboard box manufacturer. That's right. The, which the, no one knows, so you kind of think you've kind of wasted your go naming the stadium because even in Accrington, people are not aware that it's not named after the seminal eighties band. Before we talk about details of financial doping, I do want to bring Jonathan in here. In terms of a, a, a club's finances, and we know well, I've learnt from Kieran that sometimes a club's finances are built on sand, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So as as a a, a diligent agent. Do you have an instinct about if a club approaches you or a player, uh, one of your players is approached by a club? Do you research or do you have an instinct for whether that club's seemingly good financial situation is is a is a genuine one, or do you do you change? Do you think right? Well, okay, if they if they're willing to pay the money, I'll, the player will go. Though, is that not a responsible attitude? I think you always
1: try and make the best judgment, as, as I touched on previously, with regards to the player and the longevity. Um, obviously, players are one of those parties covered by uh, the financial protection um, given to football participants. But you don't want a situation where a player has his salary delayed for an extended period of time because the club is in either in the process of a, a takeover or they've got financial trouble. And generally, some of the clubs will have, shall we say, a reputation in how solid they are financially at the moment, how financially solid they are going forward, how reputable they are with their payments, do they delay, whether it be for the players or whether it be for the agents or whoever. And... you. Generally, you you get a feeling for it, and you speak to people. You speak to fellow agents. And you might speak to other clubs.
0: Right, that was going to be my next question because, like, as a, as a comedian, word soon gets round if a, if a club if you don't get paid on time. So, agents would kind of warn each other, would they? About yes, they they would yes. They so. they um, in a past uh, post with an organisation,
1: there was discussions about whether you would have, shall we say a a list of those late payers, those ones who were quite awkward with payment, awkward with agents, so on and so forth. And that changes over time. So you've got those who are awkward deliberately or those who are awkward because they haven't quite got the resources.
0: So awkward deliberately in a way that some chairmen have been reputed to delay payments yes. to local companies, for example, in the hope that they may go out of business and you don't have to pay them? Yeah, be- because... It- as I said, the the
1: players are protected by the football creditors' rule, as are other clubs. Um, Agents don't fall into that category, but you will get an idea if a a club is is going towards trouble. And if you know a club is steering towards trouble or they've got problems on the horizon, if they're massively overspent like Kieran's touched on, you might well say to the player, well, this is one option, this is the club, but this club is far more solid and you're going to get treated the but right there, way. But there's
0: nothing official, like in showbiz, for example, the stage will print, if a production company defaults payments two months running, the stage will print the names of companies that do that. And you, There's nothing official like that in football. It's all hearsay no. and, and your judgment. No, it's um, judgment. Okay. Well, um, back to the former owner of French's nightclub in Blackpool. Uh, you're never going to be allowed to forget that, you realise that. We're changing the name of this podcast. It's French's price of football from now on um uh guy how producer uh who's very good at his job uh, and sitting very close to me between me and the door basically so until i'm out the door he's, he's very good at his job there, there are a couple of specific things that guy particularly wants to talk about I and mean, then there's one story you know that i particularly want to talk about but ways of, of of doing this financial doping so we've got unusual sponsors um multi-club ownership the stadium sales um to owners is something we have touched on, but not quite. So we know. So, can you talk us sort of through these? I mean, presume there are hundreds of ways that you can affect financial doping if you want, but these are the ones that Guy are particularly interested in. Yeah, I think I think a
2: lot of the ones are what we would refer to as related parties. So, right. for example, Sheffield Wednesday are sponsored to a certain extent by a taxi company, which doesn't appear to own any taxis, and okay. and, and a sports uh, sports drink production a producer which has only just started producing sports drinks and yet they've been sponsoring for a while so when and then you find well both of these companies happen to be controlled by the owner of the club so right. are the figures you know and there's no reason why they shouldn't be legitimate arm's length transactions at a fair price, but it certainly gives the critics and, and clearly in a, club, in a city such as Sheffield where you've got two clubs yes, the, the Sheffield course. United fans are, are get very, very giddy about this. So that, that's one way. And, and then when we come to this issue of, of the, the club stadiums it, this is something which has just arisen because until 2016 uh, and it, this, this is in, in the UEFA financial fair play rules, it says you can't sell a stadium to yourself or if you do the profits are ignored for financial fair play right okay. because it's not encouraging you to behave in a sustainable T- uh, manner yes and everybody says nods along and says yeah that's fine and the efl used to have those rules and then in 2016 the rules came out and you look through them and go well somebody's somebody's tip x that out and nobody's, there's, nobody's ever
0: given an explanation. I'm going to pause here to mention to people under 35, you need to Google Tipex, But it's worth it. For the love of God, don't sniff it. But do do Google it. Again, that's revealing too much about my background as well. We've talked about French's nightclub in Blackpool, haven't we? It's so, all yeah. out today. <laughs> co- what, what, whatever <laughs> I reveal, you've, you've aced me. Whatever I could reveal anything about my background. I'm, I've been a stand-up comedian for 25 years. You've beaten me already with owning French's nightclub.
2: So in in twenty sixteen this, this rule just disappeared. Now, whether it was somebody just deleted it by accident or, or whatever the reason That can't was, happen, Kieran surely? I, I think I'm being generous. Um okay.
0: All right.
2: And then all of a sudden Reading sold their stadium for twenty six million pounds. Villa sold theirs for fifty seven. Sheffield Wednesday sold theirs for
0: sixty, and Derby sold theirs for eighty one. I didn't know about the Villa One. The, the the other three I was very aware of. The Villa One seemed to have gone under my radar. Was it a, was it big news at the time? Um well I, I'd done the sums for Villa for last season right. to
2: whether or not they were going to comply with financial fair play. Oh and, okay. And a couple of other lads who sort of do something similar to me, we'd all looked and said, well they're gonna to have to sell Jack Grealish or they're gonna to have to go and sell James Chester or one of their big players because right. they they the previous season, um Villa under under the previous owner, uh, Dr Tony G they just spent They spent yes, a yes, ridiculous yes. amount of money. They yeah. hadn't gone up, and therefore they had to go and put the brakes on quickly. So, Grealish would have to go, surely. And he didn't. And We're all looking around and saying, well, I don't know how they've managed to get away with this. And what had happened? New owners who'd come in, fantastic. They've saved the club. You know, Villa was on the brink of going out of business.
0: Was it really? Oh, they okay. they were
2: they were within an hour of liquidation. It was it was that close.
0: Oh, I didn't know that.
2: Um and you're probably tipexing something at the Yeah, possibly could have been the few Could it
0: could have been during the tip-ex period. Um, you're absolutely right, yeah.
2: And and the owners, the first thing they did was effectively that they sold the ground to themselves or another company which they set up themselves for fifty-seven million, and the profits on that will allow them to comply with financial fair play.
0: Can I just bring you in there, Jonathan? Is this a situation that is is relatively common where you think this club's in trouble? I think they will be approaching me to sell their best asset. And does in a situation like that, if they were reduced to having to sell Grealish? Does that make it harder for the agent because everybody knows that they they need to offload and therefore they might have to settle for a fee ten twenty million less than he's worth? It comes back to
1: first of all, they probably wouldn't approach me because I do very limited representation of clubs in that situation right okay, if I it's see. if it's my player and it I represent a player that they're trying to move on, I will do my utmost to make sure the player's protected in that situation right. um It really depends who they're representing. If they are representing the club to sell, we we spoke previously about a transfer where there was a fixed commission for the agent and then there was an additional commission for the agent should he achieve a price above a certain amount. So both clubs who are in trouble and clubs who aren't in trouble but need to offset certain financial... They might look at surprisingly selling their best assets and they will go to the the agents or intermediaries who they think are best positioned to do that. Right. They might not go to the actual agent who represents the player. They might go to somebody else. Oh, Oh. okay.
0: Is that, is that allowed? Yes. Oh. They're, they're, they're,
1: because that intermediary is representing the selling club in that situation. Oh, I
0: see. Yes, yes. Okay. But so what... Has this happened to you? What then, if, if you represent a very good player, the best player at that club, and the club says to you, I'm really sorry, but we need to, to move him on, what would you say? If they said to you, look, we and, and we will take 20 million quid less than he's worth, what, how, what do you do in that situation? In that situation, the first thing is t- to get that in writing. Because if, uh, oh, okay. if you
1: are... Um, encouraging a player to breach their current employment contract—it's it, like everything else. That is a breach of the regulations. Oh, of course. Despite what we might say, that certain people might go out there and promote the players before the end of their contract, so on and so forth.
0: Um, if uh, I, can, I can, I can hear many people at home saying, "Well, we all know contracts are not worth the paper they blah blah blah." But that—that's a question for another pod, to yeah. be honest, because we're already. So, so, so you get it in writing. That's... you get
1: it in writing. Me personally, I wouldn't represent the club in that situation unless they, they absolutely turn around and said, yes, do it. Because for me, you, if I'm representing the club in selling the player and getting the best price for the club, that automatically skews no matter my best intentions, am I going to get the best for the player? Are they going to go to a secure club? Are they, is it longevity? Is it the right thing for the player? Because that player's then got to move possibly himself, his family, and all the things that come with that. So, for me, you can't represent the club in that situation and get a fee there. Right. You've got to represent the best interests of the player. Once you've got their permission to promote that player to other clubs, they might well turn around and say, well, you can promote him to other clubs, but not these clubs. Oh, really? Okay. That sometimes happens. right? Um, so
0: clubs that are relegation rivals or promotion rivals or just clubs they don't like or trust? Yes. Or... Yes. Really? It, yes. There's an element of the playground in that, isn't there?
1: Uh, yeah, very much so. Wow. As I said to you previously, common sense uh, yeah, is severely lacking in certain situations. But other agents might well come to an agreement with the club to say, right, you want so much for this player, we can get that if we achieve that fixed fee but there are questions then about whether there is influence on third party ownership in being employed by the selling club to get a certain price and getting a commission based on the transfer that you get
0: really it should be a fixed sum agreed prior okay well uh, that's that's very interesting I, i appreciate that um back to kieran uh, before we move on to other topics and readers, listeners' questions, why do I keep saying readers? Because it's Twitter, I don't know. Because I'm professional, but I like to give off the man of the people thing by getting things wrong occasionally. Um, I lowered my voice to do that as well, because I'm professional. Uh, Kieran, there's one other thing. Um, even allowing for the Frenchies nightclub story, I think the story you're about to tell me in response to my question is going to top this, because... Uh, one of the things that that guy on on, transferring employment contracts is another financial doping way and there's a particular player yeah um, I'm taking my glasses off the uh, the
2: the, another way of uh, getting yourself around financial fair play is to reduce your costs yeah now if you take a look at the small print for financial fair play infrastructure costs they're ignored Academy costs they're ignored.
0: So infrastructure costs, building maintenance. Building maintenance. Stuff, yeah, so, you know, so if you, build, do, do yeah, you put in some new seats, that's yeah. great. Yeah. That's that's yeah. sustainable. Yes. That, we yeah. All, yeah.
2: So what what uh, what they're saying is, let's encourage clubs to spend money on good things. Yeah. So women's football, uh, academy football, infrastructure costs, community schemes. Yeah. Nobody can say, well, that's money being frittered away yeah. by clubs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you spend that money, that's not counted as far as financial fair play is concerned. Um. And this allows clubs to, therefore, think, "Well, hold on, we can be a little bit cute with this." So, um, there's there's a case which is, which has which has been in print.
0: So, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the producers' lawyers don't have to worry about this one. Well, um, <laughs> the producer looks slightly worried, he looked up for Mrs. Doku just for a moment there. So, <laughs> and
2: what happened was um, a club was trying to sign a player in the championship, and as we know, the championship it's 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 where where financial fair probably bears its teeth the greatest. The club didn't want to put all of the players' wages through, because they were in danger of breaching financial fair play. So what they did was they got the player's mum on a contract as a youth team scout, and they paid her seven hundred grand a year. <laughs> we now, can name. The, we can. Can we name the player? Well, I don't think it's fair to name the player, and I don't think it's fair to, to, okay, fair right, okay. it's fair to play. It. Name the player's okay. mum either because, okay. but his dad's name's Paul Ince.
0: <laughs> That's uh, um, so. So here we have Mrs. Ince, who is now um, she's a youth development manager now, is she? At the hobby? What's Well, a, what's her role?
2: Well, I mean that when, when this was this was under the old regime. Yes. So, so when when Mel Morris came in, it, it, this was one of the things that he found. You know, and, yeah. And so that
0: that caused a bit of a bit of a ruck. Um, so, the, it, it, I, as, I have to say this, in all honesty. I almost admire the chutzpah involved in something as blatant as that, in a, in a, in a way. I think as, 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 a, as a Palace fan, if you'd go... I mean, even even I, some of the things you learn about Simon Jordan, you go, oh, what a cock he is, but that's that's clever. Do you know what I mean? Every now and again. And that, I, there is a, an element of that. You just think, no, oh, it's, it's wrong, but it's kind of... It's still making me grin, I'm afraid. it's It's... It's just ballsy, isn't it, really? It is, but it also shows just how weak the rules are. But it worked as well, though. That's the other serious thing. It was nothing... It, it's, it appeared to work <laughs> at
2: the time, because there's no evidence of, of the EFL or anybody having sanction against okay. the club.
0: All right, let's 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 um, let's move on. Uh, let's calm you down a little bit before we get to Bristol City and Norwich's financial results, and then we have a, a, a listener's question. Hey, good it right um which I'll, uh, I want to get our guest involved in as well. Um question 2, the topic 2. This is and I've written this down. Why are the Welsh Premier League champions from England? question mark. And I've written here more importantly, Kieran, why do you care so much about this? This you've been trying to crowbar this story in since podcast 1. And I've been I've been valiantly trying to but Cardiff can win the, the the Premier League in England, so why does it bother you so much? that An English club's winning the Welsh Premier League. Tell us the club about and, and, and well, why the, is the, so... the club is the New Saints TNS yeah. TNS yeah and they are based in
2: Oswestry in Shropshire. Of course. yeah. Um, so this this ultimately is a show about money, and therefore, what's the driving force behind this? It's it's terrible. It, yeah, it should be a club from Bangor. It should be a club from Rill or whoever is going to, be, to winning this for the be the pride of Wales. But they've been in the Welsh League for some time though, haven't they? They've been in the Welsh League because they they were they won it twelve years out of the Yeah, they've yes, they, they won yes, it on yes, many, yes. many occasions. <laughs> the Welsh champions qualify for the first round uh, of the Champions okay. League. Right. And they get eight hundred grand uh, okay. for getting to the first round of the Champions League. Which is more than any other club in the Welsh League earns. So therefore, yeah, they, they could have gone through the English the pyramid system. Right. But you know realistically, what could they have achieved? You know, they could have got to you know, the National League or National League North, and there's, n- there's no money get- coming in that from sponsors and so on. If you know that if you just, uh, you just pay slightly more in wages than the rest of the clubs in the Welsh League and you're pretty much guaranteed 800 grand a year.
0: So how are they financing this success then? Are they financing the success by the success they originally had? That's right. It's, 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 it's uh, circular, it's, it's so circular. it's almost unbreakable then.
2: It's, it's pretty tough, you know, and uh, it's, it's a real challenge for the other clubs in Wales. And if I was a Welsh football fan. I'm a big I, fan of non-league football. Yes, and, yes, and so of course. On. I just feel fairly cheesed off that this is, once again, just like we were saying, yeah, players are being treated as commodities. Why? Because of money. Here we've got clubs making
0: decisions,
2: and why the Welsh FA has said come and join us is is another matter.
0: So well, they can't, once they join, it's very difficult to, them to then kick them out. But so they're virtually guaranteed eight hundred thousand pounds a year, yeah, yeah. which then virtually guarantees them eight hundred thousand pounds a year, yeah. which means that the other clubs. So I I almost owe you an apology because it is quite a serious matter, and I I think what it proves as well, and and joyful know this is that it it. We talk we, we we talk about the millions and billions involved in football all the time, quite casually. But of course, at that level, an amount of money that most football fans would ignore or laugh at means that much difference to the rest of the clubs in the in the Welsh league.
2: Yeah, it allows them to play, to play players on a full time basis, yes, whereas yeah, the others yeah, are yeah. part time and
0: yeah, and and well, exactly. And also, that could guarantee you know just one other club winning that could guarantee their future for the next five years. Yeah. Uh, so okay, look, as a as a Almost clever segue about guaranteeing a future. Your your obsession with moving from the Championship to the Premier League and how that turns clubs into basket cases. Come, Bristol City and Norwich, come on, just tell us tell us why you're so excited about Bristol City and Norwich's financial figures.
2: Well, it it's 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 the uh, it's the basket <laughs> case that we've got. Right. Bristol City, um, they they were losing on on a day to day basis. They they, they lost five hundred grand a week, and Bristol City, you think, well, they're pretty solid club, how on earth are they losing that that amount of money? And it's simply because if you want to compete in the top half of the Championship, if if you want to have a chance of getting into the playoffs, then you've got to spend a hell of a lot of money. Now, to be fair to Bristol City, they also sold quite a few players last season and and they covered their losses. Norwich, who, who, again, you'd think, well, sensibly run club, shouldn't have any problems, they got promoted as champions of the Championship last season. Deservedly, they played some absolutely cracking football, they lost 40 million quid in in doing so and you think that just seems a ridiculous amount of money but what are the implications for when they come up to the premier league well who have, who have norwich signed over the summer no one mm. so we've got this crazy situation that you spend an absolute fortune to get to the premier league and then unless you've got huge you know a we're very wealthy owners, it actually leaves you with very little to spend once you do get there. And think about the three clubs who were relegated last season, Fulham, Cardiff and Huddersfield. So, yeah. Fulham and Cardiff had come straight up from, from the yeah, championship. Yeah, yeah. Huddersfield were in Division 2 in their, in their second, second so, year. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a bit of a concern that having worked so hard to get there, and people say, oh, you've got this £170 million, all this money is always always coming to you. Actually, it can leave clubs knackered from the effort of getting to the, the
0: or, 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 I mean, could you not argue that Norwich are being uh, sensible and not spending money they haven't got uh, and if they go down, then they're in a better financial position than they were to come back up again, or is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Burnley, it's, it's Burnley not... did
2: that when did you, Burnley yeah. went
0: up a couple of times. They didn't
2: spend money, and then I think I think it was the third time they went up. They they by then had had sort of built up a war chest. Yeah.
0: Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm quite I'm a big admirer of Burnley. Yeah, well, obviously it's not what here. fans want to hear. They want to hear no. you're spending money to come back. And I presume, Jonathan, as well, when Norwich get promoted and the other two teams get promoted, I presume. Every agent in Europe is pretty much knocking on their doors, sending them videos of players, aren't they? Is that if if they haven't
1: already, if right. they're they're coming to the closing weeks of the season, then that and the clubs around that top six and definitely those top two, yes, it is, and it, it's not always like there's the ludicrous nature with some agents that they think they can throw any player in there. And the clubs are dealing with an absolute plethora of information. They've also got their own scouting departments, uh, analysis departments with their targets. But the number of agents who will throw CVs in front of a head of recruitment with no knowledge of the club, the structure, the mentality of the coaching staff, how they want to play, the age of the squad and where that player fits in. So you're actually dilute, you're actually wasting your efforts, like for me it's, it, it is look at a squad build up and you might well turn around to the club and say well what are you looking for well until the end of the season actually comes about very few clubs can say that because at the start of the season the responsible clubs will look at well if we stay in this league that's one set of recruitment policy mm. if we go up that's another set of recruitment policy and God forbid we get relegated that's another set of recruitment policy but some clubs don't even plan for the third option.
0: Really? So
1: they're not planning on, right, what do we do if we go, have we got to cut the wage bill, because the money we get coming in has got to be lower.
0: Hence all the stories about clubs that are relegated yeah. with no relegation clause, so they're still paying premiership And that's where so they then it, start to yeah.
1: employ agents
0: to move players on. Okay. i, I Apologies to our listeners, we've only got time for one question this week, partly because I want to ask Jonathan this final question. Uh, And it's partly Palace-based because we've got the transfer window coming up shortly, the 1st of January. Palace are a club that always seem to do their transfer business in January, around about a quarter to midnight on the last day of the transfer window. And sometimes that's worked, to be fair. Allardy brought in four really good players, very short notice, but... For for most clubs, will they will the deals for the January transfer window be already be done and dusted, and they're simply waiting and hoping that those players that are coming in don't get injured, or are clubs looking to see who they can sell first before they bring somebody in, or is it is it a mixture? Are there clubs that are always clubs like Man United, for example, always seem to get their transfer business done early in the summer, mm-hmm. whereas Palace, for example, never seem to do that. So, are there clubs who have policies on this thing, or is it just? Try on a transfer by transfer basis,
1: I think from an from an agent's point of view, a lot of agents will now actually be thinking about the summer. Oh, really? <laughs> if, okay, if, not right. January, that, that, if not January, that's before, right. gone and right. done. Right. So clubs will have their targets as well, so they will know what they're looking for. Now, that's to say, some clubs will have the same targets. It's it's natural. A, a good player will attract the, the same clubs, so they're not all going to get that. So the quicker that for me, the quicker they move, the better because then they're not looking at option two, option three, and for the responsible clubs, options four, no, five, and six. Sure. And and that's very much it. But I do believe there's a hell of a lot of brinksmanship goes on that is totally unnecessary. And whether it be club chairman, heads of recruitment, agents themselves, leaving it to the last eking out maybe that bit more finance, that better deal, so on and so forth. But for me, and we've spoken about it previously, with players being seen as assets, that's somebody's livelihood. Yes, and that could yeah, be a cool. five-year employment contract yeah. that's going to affect that player for a long, long time. It could be a young player who may never make the grade. So that's the basis of them moving forward. When, like so many young players at the sport, Spits them out, or yeah. it could be a player at the end of his career, where it's got to suit him and his family and his future going
0: forward well also what i i i generally didn't realize this Steve Parrish and he did say it in public on five year plan the palace pod um he comes on once a year, which is which is very decent of him, and we do it at Steve Burt's house and he's a wine merchant It's very decent of him, but Steve Parrott pointed out that quite often in in January especially a club will have four or five. Irons in the player. So if Palace, for example, are, everyone's saying, Why aren't you signing a right back? And he will say, Well, actually, we're in for three or four. And if option one doesn't materialise, so quite often you end up with the fourth best option, or option one comes back in, and all the other four who you've been kind of spinning plates in the air, they're suddenly left without a club. So it does sometimes work. It's, it's not always the agents involved. Sometimes it's the managers oh, and the yeah. clubs that leave the agents in the lurch and the players, isn't it? Yeah, uh,
1: and it is very much like uh, they've got other options. And you can, and I've been in the situation, you're driving to a, a, a potential signing and you get a phone call and you're stopping that journey. Wow, really? The club's no longer yeah. interested in that player. So then you're thinking, where's option B? Yeah, okay OK, they're now interested. And clubs are much the same. Now, for me... I deliberately make the intent not to work on transfer deadline day. Oh, okay. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but I always believe you you can get... If you've got the right relationships and people know where you stand, you should be able to get something done that suits all parties. And it, it just amazes me that, you know, you get this attitude of people within clubs, agents, they wake up that morning probably, or five o'clock, and they're thinking, Right, what we're we going to do today, really? No plans for it, really?
0: Whatsoever, whatever happens will happen, and so on and so forth. Well, the annoying thing about that is that's what keeps Sky Sports going, isn't it? As well, yeah, no? where would we be without Harry Redknapp leaning out of the car window? And... <laughs> um, we have only got time for one uh, question this week, but it's a good one and it involves you both. I think it's from Jeremy Nash. He says, We, we often hear, especially at Premier League level, about you know, a marquee signing coming into a club. Say like when Palace bought Johan Kabay, it's like out of the blue. Where people say, "Well, it's all right because shirt sales will will pay for it." Like, which is a thing, fan. You know, the fans still say, "It's well, great." The so my f- first question to you, Kieran, is, and I can tell by the look on your face, really, that it's not. The answer is no. The shirt sales won't. But is, it, I mean, what's the economics of that? I mean, I mean, presume a club like Palace can only sell twenty-five thousand shirts anyway at thirty quid a pop, and even if Kabay getting paid for the letters on the back of his shirt. You want to be Ruben Loftus-Cheek to get money out of that, basically, didn't you? But So how does how does that work, Finan? I mean, is is that a pinprick in terms of a financial deal? It, it, it's an absolute myth. If you've got a player
2: coming in on £100,000 a week and you've got 25,000 fans, it's just simply not going to make yeah. a- any contribution. Because they whatsoever. can only buy
0: one shirt, can't they? Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and
2: the chances are, especially... They, they The player, to a large extent, is untried. A large proportion of... Uh, Blokes of a certain age don't have players'
0: names on the back of them, so it's they only... very amusingly have their own age on the back of them. <laughs> that's, Granddad, that's what... sixty-five. It's never not funny. <laughs> we always, every time you see one, you have a new chuckle every time, don't you? <laughs> uh, or when they, they, even more amusingly, when an elderly chap's got sixty-nine on the back of his shirt, you think, ah, oh, he's thought that through, hasn't he?
2: <laughs> so, unless you're a marquee player, right? Who, who can,
0: who wear the club
2: can sell those shirts around the rest of the world. Ronaldo oh, Neymar right okay. so if that player moves then then yes i think the the income generated from merchandise is of some significance if it's a player moving from club a to club b you'll get some eejit who wants to be the first place first first fan in in the stands so, like oh look i've got johnny johnny james's yeah, name on the back of my yeah. shirt and, and uh, And and you can end up looking really foolish because there there was remember there was a Manchester City fan who had Ronaldo seven on the back of his shirt because he'd heard a story and he
0: wanted to be ahead of the game and he looks an absolute pillow. Well, at least he didn't get it tattooed, which is (laughs) something. um, So, Jonathan, um, is is that so? so Take Neymar out, take Ronaldo out. Where on the list of priorities when when you're moving a player to another club is that a conversation you even have about? Who has the rights to his is this all part of an image rights thing is it something that's so low on the financial priorities that you don't really care would you even get the club to tell you how many shirts have been Im- sold image in- rights is
1: a thorn in the side for so many people and really it, it it's so clubs or players I think players because they read and they hear about other players having that commercial element of their contract um Clubs, because they might see a taxation and an agent might see a taxation benefit and through management companies and so on and so forth. And I've heard some really strange stuff, but if you're the third choice keeper at a club that gets, I don't know, 10000 through the gate in League One, can you truly say, well, I've got an image and it's worth something? And no, you can't. And I do know and I'm very confident in this, I can't say it as a fact, but HMRC take a very dim view of image rights in player contracts and they scrutinise them very, very heavily. And like Kieran rightly says, for me, image rights, you have to justify it and you really have to be safe in that knowledge, what, it's, what they're generating for the club. Commercial dealings... Apart from that, there might be something in that, but that—that that again is very, very few players because a lot of the the Spanish clubs. I, I think it's Real Madrid. They had a thing where that when they sign a player, they actually have something in their contracts where they own the image of the player to an extent. Hence, they can afford to pay that bit more, so they can exploit the image with sponsors and so so on and so forth and there's been even that gets very complex when you get to the likes of Ronaldo because somebody owns Ronaldo's image rights for one territory and the club own it for another and he owns it for another and it gets very murky but the majority of players for me who (laughs) would find it very difficult to argue they have image rights and justify that beyond their job as a player in playing, in training, even down to the point where in their contracts they have uh, the obligation to appear at community events, sponsors' events, stuff like that.
0: They were. It's very difficult to argue you have an image. Yeah. Jonathan, we will be talking about clubs and HMSRC in future pods because it's a question we've always been asked. I'm glad that you had the last word on this pod though, Jonathan, because you've been a, a compelling... And fascinating guest and I uh, really thank you for your honesty and insight and I'm hoping it'll only take a couple of pints for you to start revealing stuff upstairs that you couldn't possibly reveal, but you've been, you've been a really interesting guest and, and I think you've gone a long way to countering some of the negative attitudes that fans have towards agents, um, so I appreciate that um, You're welcome. I'm sorry you had to hear the story about French's nightclub from Kieran, I really, if you could refrain from tweeting that, that would be that would be great. Kieran and I go over to have a word. Kieran. Uh thank you as ever. Um uh, The Price of Football is a Dip podcast. Uh we'd like to thank Soho Studios for hosting us for money. And we'll be back again soon. I would ask you to join us again, Jonathan, but um it is literally two weeks' time this time. Last time I asked you to join us, you were kind enough to say, well, I've got half an hour, so I wouldn't like to ask you to stay here for another two weeks. But thank you for, for joining us. And, no I, and I'd like to think, hopefully, in future, when we have specific agent-related questions, we can, we can get in touch. Yep. Um, if you've got anything about the Welsh Premier League, that would be lovely. Juventus' accounts, obviously. Um, thank you for listening. We're all upstairs to Frenchies for a cocktail. At William & Mary. We believe today's business
2: education needs to be more than just innovative. It requires a legacy of success, a focus on teaching, an emphasis on technology, and a practical hands-on approach. At William & Mary's Raymond A. Mason School of Business, our online, part-time, and traditional full-time graduate programs apply these strengths to provide the experience
0: necessary to help you succeed. Visit us at ChatAdmissions.com to learn more.